Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, December 19, 2018. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. And the biggest story in college basketball past couple of days, the story at least creating the most national headlines, uh, is the war words between Rick Barnes and Penny Hardaway, which culminated with Penny Hardaway telling Rick Barnes to, quote, Get the F out of here. First-year Memphis coach hit Barnes with the GTFOH. And for those who aren't up to date, uh, let me recap this story for you. Here's my briefest version, I think. So in the final minute of last Saturday's game between Memphis and Tennessee at FedEx Forum, Jordan Bone and Alex Lomax exchanged words about something, which led to Jeremiah Martin getting in Jordan Bone's face, which led to the Tennessee bench trickling onto the court, which led to technical fouls for Jordan Bone, Alex Lomax, and Jeremiah Martin. And so after the game, Penny Hardaway was asked about the situation, like like what happened. And he basically said Alex Lomax isn't the type of kid to trash talk, so that means Jordan Bone must have disrespected him, and Alex wasn't going to be disrespected on his, on his home court. He then said the Tennessee players, quote, ran over to fight with their fist balled up. So this got a, a lot of attention. It was a headline everywhere on uh, Saturday night, so much so that one of my editors, uh, our editors, Marcus Nelson, like texted me, and he was like, so, so what happened in this Memphis-Tennessee game? I'm like, nothing happened. It's, it's like, gotten way overblown. Um, like nobody even like put a hand on another person. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but that, that quote, Tennessee players ran over to fight with their fist balled up, like created this perception that – Tennessee and Memphis were on the verge of, of, of throwing fist. Anyway, I, I've watched the ESPN replays, and I can tell you that from the ESPN replays, there's no visual evidence of UT players with their fists balled up. I look, I can't see it. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just means the ESPN cameras didn't catch it. Either way, Penny Hardaway swears that it happened. He said so Saturday. He still believes it uh, at this moment. So fast forward to Monday night to Rick Barnes' coach's show, and he ends up mocking Penny's quote, fist balled up comment. Um, so on Tuesday afternoon, Penny was asked if he heard what Rick Barnes said. And Penny responded by saying the following, quote, I don't know who Rick Barnes thinks I am, but I'm not a dude that's just going to mess around about anything. I call it like I see it. And I think it's kind of low class how he's trying to downgrade my guys for flopping and all that. Man, come on. Give me a break. As a coach, you're, you're going to try to teach charges. You're going to try to teach to be smart. We were smaller. They played a physical game, and we knew that, and the calls just didn't go our way. As far as flopping, that's not something we teach. We don't even understand that term. But he seems to be focusing on the wrong thing, man. He's blessed to have the number three team in the country, and he should be happy with that. We will see each other again for sure, end quote. When asked about the balled-up fist line, Penny said, quote, the guy that was on their bench ran over to our side of the court, and he balled his fist up and asked our guys pretty much what was up. Like he wanted to fight. If you look at the film, Rick Barnes will definitely eat those words, you know, because it's on film. End quote. Penny then added hilariously that Rick Barnes is, quote, doing a little bit too much, which, of course, is a line from uh, the Yo Gotti Moneybag Yo hit, doing too much. It has to be the first time a Division One coach has ever quoted lyrics from two artists from the cocaine music group. So once all that was done, Penny uh, answered some basketball questions. And then as he walked away from the press conference, he said to nobody in particular, Rick Barnes, get the F out of here. And I don't think I've ever heard a coach say something like that about another coach publicly, although John Chaney did once threaten to murder John Calipari at a mm. press conference. Norlander, lot to unpack here. What do you make of the Penny Hardaway, Rick Barnes, war words? Entertaining as hell. I'm just glad we can finally get a little bit more Memphis content onto this podcast because God knows we need it. This is genuinely entertaining, though. Um, but amid all the reactions to this, and it is 
I'm all for rivalries. I'm all for real uh, disdain, if not downright hate, in college athletics. I think it is good. I think it makes it uh, that much more interesting, and it's okay if we get scenarios in which uh, programs, coaches, players, whatever, genuinely don't like each other because it it adds a certain level of drama. I don't know. I want to ask you something, Parrish, though. I don't know if this got brought up yet in your in your home city of Memphis or if maybe this is uh, the next step. But when I saw all this and I saw people were like <laughs> reacting to it and such like, uh, all right, let's let's have this. This rivalry is on. Yeah, that's great. But I tell you what, this is a, this is a great rivalry. And I hope that stuff like this doesn't lead to another dormant period like I hope that Penny Hardaway, and I wonder if you, I basically want to know if you think it will. If what Penny Hardaway is saying here is going to cause Tennessee and Memphis, they've got a three year deal right now. They played this season, they'll play next season in Knoxville, and then they've got a neutral site game in 2020, but there's nothing beyond that. And if this is going to be what this is, it would really suck if, it, if something like this wound up leading to a halt of Tennessee and Memphis keeping their series going, because it's not like they've continuously played each other they've got 26 meetings total ever which is uh which is obviously relatively uh relatively little considering how close they are and how good the programs have been historically so i'm all for this but i just wonder if what hardaway said might actually have a real strong unintended consequence because it would suck if the series ended um it, it could obviously when two people don't like each other and it seems pretty clear at this point that Rick Barnes and Penny Hardaway do not like each other, like maybe don't even respect each other uh, for, for different reasons. Um, you know, they, they could just say, you know what, we're not going to, I'm not doing a deal with you. We're not going to play the game. But I, I think what would trump that, the disdain uh, between the two coaches is that Penny wants to play the game because he values uh, the regional rivalries in a way that John Calipari just didn't. John Calipari's thing was always, if Tennessee wants to play us in basketball, they, they need to play us in football or we just won't do it. Or John would say, if Ole Miss and Tennessee and Arkansas want to play us in basketball, they should invite us to the SEC. We'd be happy to join. We'll join the SEC tomorrow. We'll play all of them. But unless they want to do that, we won't play any of them. We're not going to let them come into our city. I I never agreed with that um, perspective, and neither does Penny Hardaway. Because ultimately, you know, Memphis is right in the heart of the SEC, and the Memphis fans, even the ones who try to pretend they don't, uh, they, they find a certain level of joy in beating Ole Miss beating Tennessee, beating Arkansas, because the SEC schools look down on Memphis historically. I mean, Memphis's nickname, the University of Memphis's nickname among SEC fans is Tiger High. That's what they call it. Oh, so you went to Tiger High. They sort of like, you know, yeah. like look down on the University of Memphis. So when you're in the heart of the SEC, the other fan bases look at you that way. And then you, you probably live next door to an Ole Miss alum, work with an Arkansas alum, um, you know, dated a Tennessee alum. It, it's, it's those are just fun games to have, and Penny recognizes that as a, somebody who grew up here as a former player, um, and now as the coach, he 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 seems to have the same point of view on Memphis playing regional rivals as I do. Play as many of them as you can. They're fun games for the fan base. So Penny wants to play the game, and then every Tennessee coach in history has wanted to play the game because it's an opportunity to get into Memphis, which is the best recruiting area in the state, one of the best in the country, but certainly the best in the state by a significant margin. So I think if you can put your differences aside, and even if you can't put your differences aside, like Penny thinks it's good for Memphis to play the game, and every coach 
Tennessee has always thought that it's good for Tennessee to play Memphis at basketball because it gives you an opportunity to get into the city of Memphis. I think ultimately we'll see them continue to play because it's even if the two coaches don't like each other, uh, it is it is in the best interest of both coaches to play the game. I hope so. I mean, but you know, Rick Barnes is sixty four. Right, he's got 662 wins. He basically doesn't need this BS. <laughs> like, uh, it, it's it's the optimal outcome, Parrish, if we get uh, a real rivalry and yeah, and some true tension between two very different coaches. I think this is a great plot line. But for as much as Penny may want to play the game every single year, all it takes is Rick Barnes to say, you know what, dude, I'm no, I'm out. I don't I don't need this game. I don't need to go in and recruit in Memphis. My program's going to be just fine without it. So that's just the one thing that was lingering in the front of my mind when I saw this because it's great, but. Uh, if I feel like if Penny goes a little too far, or maybe he already has, maybe he will. Then, if he winds up being what, if he winds up being a great coach for Memphis, and Barnes keeps this going, he's going to be at Tennessee at least another five years. You know, we might see this halt, and you know, maybe not. Maybe I'm getting a little too far ahead of it. But uh, when I when I read those quotes and just knowing who Rick is, I thought, mm, uh, you know, it, it really would stink if this uh, if this actually prompted. Uh, this rivalry going cold again because again they've only played 26 times Tennessee has a 15-11 edge over Memphis overall um, but college basketball could use as many local rivalries annually between relevant top 75 type programs and this one you know is among the top 10 in the country there's no doubt about it I will say the um, other side of every Tennessee coach wants to play Memphis so that they can get into Memphis have a game in Memphis and and, and theoretically recruit Memphis. The other side of that is if you're the Tennessee coach right now and you just concede Memphis to Penny Hardaway, because here's the truth. Um, unless you're Duke or Kentucky, I would not waste my time recruiting a Memphis kid that Memphis prioritizes. I mean, it, it's yeah. well-documented, as, as you wrote about it, when James Wiseman committed to Memphis. Um, Penny hasn't missed on a Memphis kid he's wanted yet, and I don't think he's going to. Unless he loses a Memphis kid he wants to something like Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, a traditional blue bud, you know, big brand. But, like, I, I don't think Tennessee's going to be able to come into Memphis and beat Memphis for a kid that Memphis wants. And if you can't do that, what's the point? You know, what recruiting yeah. advantage do you actually uh, gain by playing a game in Memphis? So that's the other side of it. If Rick just says, um, A, playing the game doesn't help me because it's not going to allow me to beat Memphis heads up on a, on a kid that Memphis wants, and B – you know, F Penny Hardaway. Like, he wants to talk like that? I don't have to play this game. He needs it more than I do. Yeah. Um, so that that is the other side of it. Let me ask you this, and I want to be clear. I don't care if a coach is, quote, out of line with words directed at another coach. I find it all entertaining. But is Penny out of line to, to, to say the things that he said? You know what? I Yeah, probably. But we can like it, and it can still be out of line. I mean, Penny, as we've noted on this podcast and on CBSSports.com, plenty over the past six, seven months. Uh, Hardaway is doing things that you just that first-year coaches just don't do in terms of you know landing a number one overall uh, prospect when you've never been a head coach. I, I also think he's the first coach ever with a five and five record to so aggressively go after an opposing head coach with more than six hundred six hundred <laughs> wins and like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen NCAA tournament appearances. I, I don't think this has ever happened before. But if you're Penny Hardaway and you've lived the life you've lived and you are who you are in that city of course you can do it um yeah I think potentially a little bit out of line and what I can't like I'm not going to get deep into this in fact I, I don't even know if it really benefits the podcast I don't know if there were balled up fists like there is so much stuff that surrounded this game that frankly is probably amazing fodder for your radio show and the local media there like I think it's fantastic but um 
I, I, I don't know how legitimate some of that stuff was or wasn't. All I know is, uh, result aside, you know, Tennessee wins. It was a decent game, but they were never really threatened. Um, you got just about as much as you could have possibly dreamed up from this game in the aftermath with the with the resumption of this of this rivalry they hadn't played they hadn't played in I think six years or something like that um so that's been great but yeah I, I do think Penny was just a little bit out of line telling telling Rick Barnes to get the f out of here I, I'm entertained by it I think it's I think it's great for just stoking the fire but uh you just I think if you simply say there's probably no other coach that would have said that that was in the same position as Hardaway first year as a head coach that's probably you know the scale on which you'd balance that and you can you can genuinely fairly say he uh he probably stepped over the line I I agree with that I you know a lot of people have asked me I haven't been on radio I took this week off of radio just cuz I had vacation Oh so that's got to be you know what Paris that's then this is probably killing you just a little bit. That's why, and that's why, and I'm not objecting to it, but that's why we started on Memphis on this podcast. I didn't realize you weren't on radio this week. Yeah, I haven't been on radio this week, so I haven't talked about it. So I needed an outlet. <laughs> yeah. That's the, and so here we are on the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Although, like in fairness, it has been the biggest headline in college basketball the past couple of days. Sure, because they're great games. Um, I would not have said what Penny said on Saturday after the game. You know, talking about they came over to fight us because I don't really think they came over to fight. They might have looked like if you took a picture, there might have been somebody in the picture who looked like he was ready to fight the same way, you know, when a bullpen empties after a batter is hit in a baseball game. They all run to the mound, but you don't really expect them to fight because fights in sports are very, very rare and 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 rarer in basketball than they are in baseball. Even like the, you, you really almost never see a punch thrown in a basketball game and you are you I mean brawls are are basically unheard of so the idea that Tennessee ran over to fight they just they just didn't they ran over to do whatever they were doing but they weren't going to fight so when Penny took it there it created the headline and one thing led to another but I do think Penny was also bothered by and this got way less attention because it was much um, more subtle but in Rick Barnes' post-game press conference, he, like, went out of his way to not say anything positive about Memphis. You know, people were asking him about the atmosphere because that was that was part of the story on Saturday. It's honestly somewhat what I wrote about because when you contrast what FedEx Forum looked like last year when less than 3,000 people were in that building often, I maybe shouldn't say often, but multiple times to watch the University of Memphis men's basketball program, um, they they were they drew they only had like they drew fewer than six thousand people per game on average, and so to contrast that with eighteen thousand four hundred complete sellout, the scene was unbelievable. Like I tweeted uh, right before tip off, the the game didn't get the national hype that the number one versus number two game got back in two thousand eight for obvious reasons. Like Memphis then was ranked number one, undefeated in February, and had a future number one pick in the NBA draft. Derrick Rose. This Memphis team entered the game five and four, unranked. Like it, you know, it it wasn't supposed to be competitive, and it it mostly wasn't competitive. Um, but if you just walked into the building, it looked exactly like the 2008 game, and it sounded exactly like the 2008 game. And so people were asking Rick Barnes about that, you know, just TV people looking for a soundbite. And Rick was like, I would say it's top three environment we've been in this year, hmm. which is absurd. It, it, like, he was like, you know, we were in Phoenix last week, and I was like, a neutral court game. And, like, I watched that game. It wasn't a capacity crowd. It was a great game, but the atmosphere? It's a neutral court game in Arizona between Gonzaga and Tennessee. And by like, the way, have, yeah. And I, have a great, 
And I was on hand at Barclays, which actually was a better than when they played Kansas, Tennessee. Right. And that was a better environment than I thought it would be. It was actually pretty solid for a Friday night in November for a college basketball game. But come on. Right. So Rick, Rick says that, and then he was asked about the crowd again. And he said, yeah, you know, I watched all their games on film, and I know they haven't been drawing like this, but it was, I knew this was a big game for them. So I wasn't surprised to see the crowd. Like, he just little subtle things, like big game for them, not big game. A big game for them. Just a game for a big game for them. That little subtle things that I think bothered Penny a little bit too. But um, yeah, I think he he probably took it too far uh, in that Tuesday afternoon uh, press conference. He said some things at the very least that you would you wouldn't hear another coach say. And I will say that the one place where it is still obvious over and over again, and I mean this in a positive way, that that Penny Hardaway has you know is a first year college coach has never worked in a in a college campus before this calendar year the place where it's most obvious is obviously not on the recruiting trail it's obvious i to me it's not on the sideline i i think he looks completely comfortable coaching his basketball team it's in it's in it's with the media because he doesn't Mm -hmm. participate in coach speak at all when you ask him a question for better or worse he will just tell you what he thinks like in the uh, late signing period, right after he was hired, you know, they scrapped together a top 30 recruiting class. Got Tyler Harris, got Alex Lomax, got Antoine Jones. It was like a good class, all things considered. And he was asked about, you know, is there any sort of, you know, is there anything disappointing about the recruiting class? And the every coach who's ever asked that question says, no, 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 we got the guys we wanted to get. Football, basketball, they all say, well, no, we got the guys we wanted to get. Like, we're really excited about who we got. And Penny's answer is, well, yeah, I am a little disappointed. You know, we wanted to get Ashton Hagens. He ended up going to Kentucky. You know, we thought we had a sh- – it was like he just acknowledges that, yeah, this is good, but I wanted it to be better, and I thought it should be better. And so that, that is – that's just one example, but there's like 50 examples of him answering questions in a non-traditional way. And obviously, <laughs> the, the question of did you hear what Rick Barnes said with, that was presented to him on Tuesday afternoon, it led to him uh, answering in a, in a completely non-traditional way. And I really don't think I've ever heard a coach say about another coach, mm-hmm. get the F out of here. I yeah. mean, I, you hear it privately all the time. Sure, sure. But, but you, don't, yeah. you don't hear it when there's cameras right in front of no, you. No, and I don't object to that. I, I'm all for coaches being more uh, transparent on the record when it comes to that. Um, but again, uh Potential unintended consequence, we'll see. Last note on this. Tennessee's going to go dormant on our podcast, I would think, over the next couple of weeks because they, uh, they've they got home games against Samford, Wake Forest, Tennessee Tech. They start the SEC season on January 5th against Georgia. They should win four in a row, would get them to 12-1. and one, And they've got, you know, I wouldn't say a faint chance, but, you know, maybe a halfway decent chance at eventually climbing to the number one spot overall in the rankings. But two things need to happen for that to, uh, for that to transpire. Well, three. One, Tennessee has to win all those games. Two, as we're going to get to in just a minute here, Duke plays Texas Tech in what is an awesome setup for a Thursday night game. So if Duke were to lose that, it would slip in the polls. And then number one, Kansas, uh, as we've mentioned, it's been – it's. It's still undefeated. It just hasn't matched its ceiling. It plays at Arizona State this weekend. Um, if it gets past that, uh, would have uh, a fairly decent Oklahoma team on the second. And then it's at Iowa State on January 5th, which is still before Tennessee has its next road game, which is until January 8th against Missouri, uh, which would come after the latest poll update on that week. So anyway, Tennessee is uh, is looking good and figures to be a, a borderline lock for top three in the polls for the next three weeks and has a chance. We'll see if the other teams lose to eventually climb to number one. 
So Buffalo beat Syracuse at the Carrier Dome on Tuesday night. We're going to discuss that in a few seconds. But first, here's this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So like I said, Buffalo beat Syracuse on Tuesday night. Final score was 71-59. So the Bulls are now 11-0. Nate Oates beat Sean Miller's Arizona team last March in the NCAA tournament. He beat Bob Huggins at West Virginia last month. He beat Jim Beheim at Syracuse last night. It has to be uh, on any early National Coach of the Year list, right? Oh, yeah. Top five, without a doubt. Um, unquestionably, best start in school history. Also uh, has a win on a neutral over a San Francisco team that's been fairly solid. That's the only loss San Francisco has. So, obviously, USF is not nearly at the level of program as the ones you mentioned. But that right now is is a quad one win. So, Buffalo gets its first win over Syracuse ever. Uh, we talk about, you know, uh, regional rivalries, and Buffalo-Syracuse is not that, but it is it is interesting. I looked it up last night. The schools have only met nine times ever. They're separated by, I'm guessing, two, two-and-a-half-hour drive mo- at most, and Syracuse is not, uh, is not shy to play a lot of in-state opponents, so I was surprised that they had only met that many times. Oates said afterward that he gave credit to Bayheim for uh, keeping up with scheduling the game because clearly um, – Buffalo was so good last season, and you knew that we're going to be building towards something they'd be good. Um, it wouldn't have been a surprise if, if Syracuse and Bayheim opted not to schedule Buffalo. But frankly, Syracuse was a top 25 team coming into the preseason. They, he, Bayheim should have scheduled this game. There was a good opportunity against a quality mid-major that, in theory, you figure you're going to win, um, and it, it just helps your resume that much more. But Buffalo, man, which trailed early, made a strong push. This team is encroaching on uh, like a situation where we're not just talking like at large we're talking single digit now it's it's got a two game stretch here it's at Marquette on Friday night and I was actually debate I'll be in Chicago Friday but I guess there's just there's not a train to get me back to Chicago after that game and I'm not renting a car but I was really debating going to this game because that's a fantastic tilt um, we'll probably preview it just a little bit on the next pod but Buffalo at nine and two Marquette on Friday even if the Bulls lose that, it's a great split. I mean, you t- you tell me Buffalo gets West Virginia, um, a San Francisco team that will compete for a bid at Syracuse, at Marquette, and you can go 3-1 and one in that, and you win all your other games, it's a fantastic outcome, GP. And if this team holds its own in what's a fairly solid MAC this year, and by hold its own, I'd say lose two games. You know, lose to Marquette in two league games. You enter your postseason conference tournament with three losses. Buffalo will not be on the on the fence, in my opinion. It won't be a bubble team. It will still be firmly in the mix for an at-large, potentially along that 9 or 10 line. So Nate Oates has done an amazing job here. And um, last note is that this program had never made the NCAA tournament until 
Bobby Hurley got there um, and took him in 2015. And then Hurley gets the Arizona State job. Oates has taken him twice. He's almost certainly going to take him again a third time. So this has been a huge turnaround for a program that for so long was trying to break through and never made the NCAA tournament. So Buffalo started the season 72nd, I believe, at Ken Palm. They are 23rd right now. So not only are they off to a great start, um, a historically great start, they are uh, also, like relative to the rest of the country, they're, 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 they're the most surprising start, perhaps, right up there with Furman. Um, they've 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 moved up around 50 spots at, at Kimpom. So it's not that they're just winning the games. The computers, uh, the the ones that that are referenced most often in the sport, uh, like like this Buffalo team a lot as as well. Maybe not as much as the AP poll voters uh, like them, uh, but still just an incredible start uh, uh, to this season. I don't know if you caught the post game last night, but Nato, he did. Some, I know what he was trying to do, but it ends up like not working the way he wanted it to work. The quote was, no disrespect to the Syracuse guys, but I think we do have better players. So what he's trying to do there, I think, (laughs) is something that Chris Beard would try to do often last season. Because when you, or Rick Barnes will try to do this season. You know, when, when Tennessee has zero top 100 high school prospects on its roster, but is ranked third in the country, or Chris Beard inherits a roster that, you know, it's, it's, it has a roster where he's starting two sub 100 freshmen and yet like has a tremendous team last season. And now Nate Oates, you know, with with, you know, people start looking at you beating Bob Huggins and Sean Miller and and Jim Beheim and they go, man, this guy is really coaching, coaching like crazy, like to take a, a Buffalo roster and beat these giants of the sport. And so what he's trying to do is say, hey, listen, this ain't this ain't about me. It's about my players. My players are good. Uh, but when you take it to no disrespect to the Syracuse guys, but I think we do have better players than them. Um, it really just comes off as a shot at the Syracuse players, doesn't it? It, it does. <laughs> it, and it was not an explicit Penny Hardaway moment, and by no means. But you're just trying. You're trying to stump for your guys, and it's actually the kind of it's the kind of quote or the style of quote that you'll get uh, in March when you have a mid-major that is able to pull off an upset in that on that first Thursday or Friday, and potentially hell if they get to a second weekend. And obviously, Buffalo won big over Arizona last season and no one would have said that Buffalo had the better players versus Arizona and in many ways like you know collectively uh, Syracuse has the better roster than Buffalo but this is a really really good team and Buffalo's got some players man CJ Massenburg is a baller unafraid uh, got a great story really good shooter and he hit some huge buckets to seal that game last night but this is Oates obviously sticking up for his team his guys that he got and uh, and I don't fault him for it, but yeah, sometimes when you're trying to make that case, you unintentionally perhaps even just throw the other coach or his uh, his players under the bus, and you got a little bit of that there. Um, I don't know this to be a fact, but I'm sure uh, Oates could have potentially reached out to Beheim independently, privately after, and said, "Hey, man, like <laughs> you got what I was trying to say here," and I'm sure Beheim accepted it for what it was. But um, love this team and just love the fact that we. I love that college basketball gives us this kind of stuff. It's not quite every year, but just about every year you'll get a mid that can get an undefeated run into January, maybe late December. It's a decent story. But unlike most of those other stories, which sometimes are great, like Wichita State, 
all that, and it's moved on from mid-major status, of course. Buffalo is, is beating real opponents, and it's coming off an NCAA tournament run, so it, it's validated with its 14th ranking in the AP poll, and it's it's truly earning its status, and what I think will happen here, this is total conjecture, but I think when you've got like a Furman, and you've got Buffalo, and on the previous podcast, Parrish, we mentioned how the Pac-12 is asking its issues, and the American isn't as good as it should be. I just think if you've got two or three uh, card-carrying, flag-waving mid-majors that are having strong years, I think that might have an unintended beneficial con- uh, impact on how the selection committee might throw in one or two mids into the field this season if they're right there on the fence. I just think that when you've got these kind of high-profile mids that are playing so well, it can uh, it shouldn't directly impact them, but I just think that those things kind of have a way of entering into the discussion in the committee room. So Buffalo and Furman remaining undefeated is definitely good in that regard. Um. I mean, because it is true. Like, as great as a start as Buffalo is off to, they're, they're still not guaranteed to go to the NCAA tournament. I mean, Toledo is a is a real challenger in the MAC, and you know it, it's very difficult to get an at large bid from a traditional one bid league. It, it doesn't mean it's impossible, uh, but it, it does mean if they stumble in the MAC, they could they could be having to sweat it out on Selection Sunday if they don't get the um, automatic bid. So that'll be an interesting uh, storyline to follow. Before we go any further. Uh, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be complicated, not with SeatGeek. And that's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value always. You just type what you're looking for into the search bar, and three clicks later, you're buying tickets. It could not be easier. For instance, let's say you want to do what Norlander and I will be doing this weekend. Specifically attend the CBS Sports Classic in Chicago. UCLA, Ohio State, then Kentucky, North Carolina. Should be a fun doubleheader. You can get tickets via SeatGeek. Just type CBS Sports Classic into the search bar. Hit enter. The option's going to be right in front of you. And when I checked last night, seats were as low as $23 right now. You could get into the lower level for like 113 bucks. And if you make the purchase, you got the tickets because every purchase made through SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So next time you need tickets to anything, Basketball games, football games, Broadway shows, concerts, whatever. Just open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB to get 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have tickets. So one of the teams I mentioned playing in that CBS Sports Classic is UCLA. Um, But before they play there... Uh, They got a game at Cincinnati on Wednesday night. UCLA coming off a loss to Belmont, your Belmont team, Mm. uh, coached by your uh, favorite coach in America, Rick Bird. Uh, UCLA in trouble at Cincinnati. How badly Steve Offer need to win this? He's in the midst of a really brutal three-game run here, and he needs to get at least one, preferably two wins. Uh, I spoke with Chris Holtman on Tuesday night after he got to 10-1, and and he said – who on earth would ever want to play a Rick Bird team coming off of finals? That's a nightmare scenario just because of the stuff uh, Belmont runs, how well coached they are. So Holtman uh, actually stood up for Alfred in that situation. But listen, you're at home. You've got more collective talent than Belmont. You need to win that game. They lost 74-72. And now, because you don't get that one, and by the way, they barely beat Notre Dame, but they did beat them. They got the win. Uh, UCLA did uh, the previous weekend. Now you go at Cincy. And then you play Ohio State, obviously, in the neutral uh, on Saturday. We'll preview that game, obviously, on our next podcast. But if UCLA loses at Cincinnati, which I think it will, I don't know if you have the line in front of you or can pull it up, but let me try and guess. I'll say uh, definitely different styles of teams. 
I would say Cincy is favored in this one by, I'll say, five even. Uh, I think it will win Cincinnati. And then you got to play an Ohio State team that's only lost once. And if you lose both of those, you're going to be a 7-5 and five team with the locals absolutely hollering for your job at that point. You're going to have to go, I think, minimally 12-6 and six in the Pac-12 to be positioned decently for an at-large. And even then, I'm not sure it's going to be good enough. Uh, anything shy of that, you've got to win the Pac-12 tournament. And... I'll, you know, we're, we're going to end up talking about Alfred and his job, I think, into the season, Parish, as we turn to 2019. But he's made the tournament for the past five seasons. Broadly speaking, I'm against firing a coach if he makes the tournament four out of his first six seasons at an institution, particularly a big one, and he's made the Sweet 16 at least multiple times. But UCLA, uh, you know, what it did to Lavin and what it did to Howland, we don't need to replay that. We've obviously gone through that. Um there would be real speculation that he would be out at that point. So this is a very critical two-game stretch. Got to split it. Uh, going 2-0 and against Cincinnati and Ohio State would be really big, but I think Cincinnati will win, and um, that is probably the most intriguing game for me personally here on Wednesday night. The UCLA situation is is fascinating to me because you basically live on the hot seat as a coach. You know, if you ask the typical UCLA fan right now, has Steve Alford done a good job? They will probably tell you no. And I'm not even saying that they're necessarily wrong. But I will say that if you just take name and school off of the resume, and I told you, a guy took over a program. He's gone to four NCAA tournaments in his first five seasons, made the Sweet 16 three different times. And, you know, in 2018, enrolled a recruiting class that ranked six nationally. You would say, that sounds like you're doing a pretty good job. But for whatever reason, when you make it the UCLA job, people just say it's not that great of a job. And uh, this happened to Ben Howland. It happened to basically everybody post-John Wooden. And what's, what's most interesting about it to me is that it's obviously a big brand. It's UCLA. But it's not like there's some intense fan base there. Like, you go to Pauley Pavilion, it's often not filled. Um, it's not like they're talking UCLA basketball on radio all day, every day, the way that, you know, Kentucky is a topic all day, every day in Kentucky. Louisville is a topic all day, every day in Louisville. Indiana is a topic all day, every day in the state of Indiana. Kansas, I think, is a topic mm-hmm. all day, every day in, in the state of Kansas. Memphis, is, uh, I'm, trust me, is a topic in Memphis all day, every day. It, like the, it, it doesn't get that kind of coverage. And yet, even successful coaches end up on the wrong side of their fan bases very, very quickly. And it's, it's, it, it really does become a difficult job to try to, I don't know, it, I, I don't want to say you can't last long there because Ben Hallen did. But you know, Ben Hallen got fired after three Final Fours and when he was coming off a, a season in which he won the outright Pac-12 regular season title. I believe to this day he remains the only Power 5 coach to ever be fired immediately after winning an outright league title without some sort of scandal attached to it. And so I, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell UCLA fans how to feel because that's, you know, I, they, I, I don't have that kind of power. Uh, they don't care how I think they should feel. But it is an interesting deal how even guys who – I mean, Steve Offer's been to four tournaments, five years, three sweet 16s, just enrolled a top-ten recruiting class, and is very much on the hot seat, according to his fan base. Yeah, he is, and, you know, I won't belabor your points there. Um, We'll get into specifically UCLA-Ohio State on the next podcast, as we should, looking ahead of the CBS Sports Classic. But, 
it would go a long way if UCLA could win this game against Cincinnati. It, it really would, but it's it's a tough ask. We'll see. UCLA has the talent, and you know sometimes they're really fun to watch play. I mean, talent, hands, Wilkes, Moses Brown, seven one dude, one of the best PERs in college basketball right now. Prince Ali is a solid player. Um, they should be better than what they've shown. Um, the home loss stinks, but the, the two other losses aren't terrible in terms of opponent. They just weren't competitive against Michigan State, and they didn't look great against UNC. And so when you look at the rest of their wins, like they escape at home against Notre Dame, could just really, really use one of these two. Going 2-0 and in the next two games would uh, would really, really steady the ship there. But uh, but we'll wait and see. That's that's obviously a big one on Wednesday night. So I want to close by looking ahead to Thursday night, a game we've already mentioned, number 12 Texas Tech against number two Duke inside Madison Square Garden. The two teams have a combined record of 20-1. and one. And Texas Tech is the the team that, that's undefeated, ten and zero right now. Just a terrific start to the season for Chris Beard. And um, listen, Duke's going to be favored in this game, uh, just like. And you you asked earlier what was the spread on that Cincinnati UCLA game? It's seven and a half. Oh wow. UCLA's, yeah, UCLA's seven and a half point favorite. Duke is going to be favored over. Let me guess. Texas. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. I'll uh, say. Now this is the number one defense in America right now. Texas Tech versus the number two offense. I will say Duke is getting – man, if you're getting Texas Tech at uh, – uh, I'll say Duke six and a half, and I'd be super tempted to take Texas Tech there. Ken Palm has a projected score of 76-70, so the number will be right around six. And okay. so Duke is going to be favored by – we can safely assume by more than five points. But um, – you know, either way, like what Chris Beard is doing with this program to even to a have it on this stage, but have it on this stage in a way where we can reasonably discuss ways in which Texas Tech might beat this Duke team that's sitting here with with a lone loss on a neutral court to Gonzaga is, is pretty remarkable. Um, we talked earlier about uh, how Nate Oates is, you know, seemingly taking individual pieces and turned it into something much better than it ought to be. Uh, Chris Beard has not only done that again this season, he's done it every year he's been a Division One coach. Let me walk you through this real quick. So the year before he gets the Little Rock job, Steve Shields is the coach at Little Rock. Uh, the year before Chris gets the job is the 2014-15 season. And Little Rock finished ranked 235th at Kempom that season. Then Chris Beard takes over. He gets Little Rock into the NCAA tournament. They upset Purdue in the NCAA tournament. He finishes 56th at Kempom. And you might say, okay, but yeah, that, that, that program was just ready to take off and then he, he, he was in charge when it took off. It went right back to crap the year after Chris Beard left. So 2015, they finished 235. 2016 with Chris Beard, 56. Then the year after he leaves, Wes Flanagan takes over. They go right back to 245. And I don't think they've ever been in the top 200 since Chris Beard left. The only... Uh, the only season that hasn't been a sub-200 season in forever at Little Rock is the one season Chris Beard was in charge. So then, of course, he uh, takes over at Texas Tech. Uh, first, he takes over at UNLV, and what a glorious run that was. He was uh, the head coach at UNLV uh, for a brief period of time. Then the Texas Tech job opens because Memphis, for reasons that will never make sense, decided to hire Tubby Smith. So he ends up taking the Texas Tech job because he's from Texas, obviously. Uh, the year before he takes over, Tubby Smith's the coach. They finish 54th, the Red Raiders do, at Kempom. In Chris Beard's first season, they finish 41st. Last season, they finish uh, 11th. 
And right now, they are also 11th in the country, undefeated with a 10-0 record. So he, he has a, a, a track record here of, of taking things, immediately making them better, and then consistently making them better year after year after year. It really is, it really is a, a pretty remarkable uh, start to his head coaching career. Um, um, among the better ones that I can remember over the past 20 years in terms of a guy who gets in, gets in, finds success immediately, gets a big job, and continues to keep it rolling. Uh, everyone had it wrong on Texas Tech. If, if someone can point me to someone who had Texas Tech in, in a preseason top 25, um, I, I, you know, I, I'd love to see it. I'm, maybe it happened. But Texas Tech was expected to be good, but just drop back to the middle of the Big 12 this season. Which, by the way, if you're a middle of the, uh, middle of the pack built Big 12 team, you're still a good team. But this team is right there with Kansas at this point. And this is after losing Keenan Evans, bona fide one of the best players in program history, lost Zach Smith, who was a a very important senior big man for them. And then Zaire Smith was the freshman, came out of nowhere, top 15 NBA draft pick. You lose those guys plus a couple of other seniors, you think, okay, well, they're going to drop back a little bit. They'll still be good, but let's just wait and see. We were all wrong. Jarrett Culver, a sophomore who was at times better than Zaire Smith last year, his fellow freshman, has been really, really good. Matt Mooney, a transfer from the University of South Dakota, has stepped in, been a fairly impressive player. Tariq Owens has been good. They have uh, they have been just a monster on defense, and this is the best start in program history since 1929-1930. I knew Paris knew that, but I figured I'd give the listeners a, a heads up on that. They are just incredible across the board on defense, and this is a, a fantastic treat here. Would have been great if it was in Cameron or in Lubbock, but you know Duke, non-conference, it's going to play in a neutral. It always likes to get up to New York, so Madison Square Garden is a fine venue for this. And Texas Tech has a chance to win. I'm totally... Totally intrigued by how they will defend R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson. Will this be a game where Cam Reddish pops up? Will this be a game where Trey Jones winds up actually being the most valuable player on the court and maybe exposes something with Texas Tech's defense overall? It's a terrific game. That that Gonzaga-Tennessee game, in my opinion, has been the best game of the season so far. I think this one has a really good shot. If Tech's defense plays up to its standing and if Duke's offense plays up to its standing, one of those is obviously going to have to budge somewhat. But uh, but I'm all in on what should be a great Thursday night game. Wish I could be there, but I'll actually have just landed in Chicago, and rest assured I'll make uh, I'll make the time and the space to watch that from start to finish. But uh, how about Texas Tech, man? They got, uh, they got a great shot. And last thing, Parrish, I mentioned this in today's court report, which is CBSports.com. This really could have impact on the number one seeds. Like if Texas Tech wins this and then goes on to be really, really, really good in the Big 12, heck, Maybe it tussles with Kansas. Like you beat Duke on a neutral, and if Duke wins the ACC, you better believe that's going to have uh, a real, real chance at giving Tech a, a shot at the one line. And then Duke, obviously, beating a what should be a good Texas Tech team, just makes their their resume all that much better. So, aside from it being an awesome game, obviously, a game like this has serious long-term impact. And we also uh, have an opportunity to see if Zion Williamson will headbutt the backboard again. I know. Did you see that? <laughs> I, did. I did see that, and it's uh, obs- obscene. Yeah, he hit his head. Poor for crying out loud. <laughs> Poor Princeton. 101.50. And that's this also, yeah, that's just, you know, you knew there was going to be some type of highlight if Duke is playing against an Ivy League school, and that was that was pretty much it. But, you know, Duke did have to prep for a Tuesday night game. I know they romped them. They doubled them up, 101.50 to Princeton. But that's like a quick turnaround. And then you're, you're going and you're playing Texas Tech two days later. So it's, you know, they would have preferred to have a five, six-day buildup with no game uh, and leading up to Texas Tech. But that's not what they got. They get Princeton. And we'll just see if that has any just, you know, small impact uh, at the start of the game on Thursday night. 
Let's give credit where credit is due. I spend every Monday afternoon finding AP voters that uh, submit nonsensical ballots. Luke DeCock from the Raleigh News and Observer, he had Texas Tech ranked 20th in his preseason AP poll. He was the only AP voter that had Texas Tech on a preseason ballot. Shouts to Luke. That is a great foresight, although you underrated him too. But, no, you're absolutely right. That's uh, He deserves some love and good uh, good research for you there. That's, that's fantastic. And while we are on that, let's close with this. Um, Let's send our good thoughts and prayers to a member of the college basketball media, uh, Terry Hutchins, who's covered Indiana basketball for more than two decades. Uh, word came out on Tuesday that on Monday night he was in a, uh, a pretty bad car accident and is uh, is in the hospital. So um, you had Matt Painter, you had you know Matt Painter, Chris Holtman, Archie Miller, a lot of coaches in that area, um, you know, sending out their their thoughts and prayers for him, and certainly uh, we do as well. A very kind man and hope that he is able to uh to fully recover thoughts with his family and just didn't want to get let this podcast come and go without at least acknowledging him and hoping that he is on the mend of recovery yeah it made me sick to see that uh last night i keep like doing twitter searches like just scared to death of what i'm going to read next um he's in critical condition and um was reportedly unresponsive um at at the at the crash scene and again, I'm just repeating what was reported. Uh, the paramedics could not initially find a pulse. And so this it's all very scary stuff. If you cover college basketball at all, uh, you're, you're aware of Terry Hutchins. He's an institution in that state. I've uh, been writing about uh, Indiana for a long, long time. And, you know, every time I've been uh, to Bloomington or, or to Indiana, any Indiana game, um, you know, it's, it, he's, he's, he's always been kind to me. You know, uh, I, I realize I'm not young anymore, but once upon a time I was. And I, I've always, um, you know, you remember how people treat you when, um, when you know, when, you know, how, the, how the older guys, a generation maybe ahead of you, 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 you remember how people treat you. And um, I've always been appreciative of the way he treated me with nothing but, but kindness. Um, and so... You're exactly right. I don't know if the uh, you know the people listening are are, are into prayers, but um, certainly send thoughts uh, toward Terry and uh, his family because it's a it's a scary situation there. I don't know how to transition from that into uh, the shouts, but shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M. F. and He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell, shouts to Luke DeCock. Uh, that was a pretty good uh, uh, AP preseason poll. Had Texas Tech uh, number 20. Remember, uh, if you haven't subscribed to the College Eye on College Basketball podcast, please go do that uh, via Apple Podcasts. It is the uh, best way to make sure you get the latest episodes sit right to your phone as soon as possible. So, yeah, it helps us, and that's why I ask you to do it. Uh, but it also is, uh, if, you, if you're somebody who wants to make sure you, you, you hear uh, the latest episode as quickly as possible, that, that's the best way to ensure that that happens. So, please... Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, go do that. It only takes a, a couple seconds. Five stars, nice comments, always appreciated. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Friday. Until then.